Well, we're going to be just continuing along in uh, the book of Samuel. We're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 talks about the calling of Samuel. So we've seen in the last couple of chapters, 1 and 2, where Hannah, uh, his mother, came crying at the church, uh, not at the church, but at the, uh, at the temple, and um, was she brought her issues that she had, legitimate issues that she had before the Lord, and the Lord, uh, as she was praying, the Lord answered her prayers, and we are in, introduced to a character by the name of Eli, he's the, he's the priest, and he's got sons who went haywire, and uh, in the last chapter we were told that he, he was, um, he didn't correct them the way that they needed to be corrected, and so the Lord was not happy about that, and that, so that brings us up to where we're at, all right? Let me give you a quick background, uh, but before we do, let's just go before the, the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. You've communicated to us. You've told us what we need to know, and it's perfect because you created it. And so I pray that you help us tonight to just uh, look at it, to read it, to understand it, and to see what you have for us, and that uh, we would walk away from here changed for the better, and uh, that you would draw us all closer to you. We know that your word never returns void. So we thank you for that in advance. And as we were just praying, Lord, I just pray that it be your Holy Spirit, not myself, and uh, that we would all be edified, built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to just kind of back up a little bit and just do a little bit of a book background. Uh, this is just the way I like to teach. So, excuse me. All right. All right, Samuel. It was originally one book. All right. Let's see. There we go. Samuel was originally one book. It was later separated into two when it got translated into Greek. The same is true of Kings and Chronicles. So you're familiar with First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and uh, that's due to the length of the book because it was so long, all of them. And um, also some more facts and figures. So. Around 930 B.C., about 3,000 years ago, that was when this was written. And the author, although the, the book is called Samuel, the author is believed to be somebody that was in proximity of Samuel, somebody who knew what was going on, was close to him, or in the, in the proximity um, to where he, he knew enough to where he could write down, and um, that's where we got the book of Samuel. And then lastly, just by way of facts and figures and background, is that Samuel is the last judge as Israel shifts from a theocracy, where in the theocracy is where God is ruling, to a monarchy, and that's where a man is ruling. And so, if you wanted to split the book up uh, as far as an outline, one way that you could do it would be chapters 1 through 12 covers Eli to Samuel, and chapters 13 to 31 covers Samuel to Saul, and then also Saul to David. And I'm going to quote from a commentary by Kenneth Hanna here. Samuel was the last and best of the judges, and the first of the order of prophets, and the first of the order... Oh, I said that. So let me read this down here, maybe. The first of order of prophets. Integrity marked his lifelong leadership. Samuel was a kingmaker par excellence. He anointed Saul and also announced Saul's removal from office. Samuel was steadfast till his death. And so Samuel's a strong player. He, he gets introduced 
here in the first few chapters of the book of First Samuel, and uh, and we're going to see his ministry is pretty powerful. No, he's just a man. He's not anything um, beyond that. You know, all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes Samuel. But we're going to see uh, we're going to see some shifts here in this book, in this chapter, in the third chapter, from Eli to Samuel. The Lord preferred no king over Israel, but Israel wanted a king. They had what might be called national envy, so they got one. Spoiler alert, it doesn't turn out too well for them. But we know that Jesus is the king of all, of all kings who will and who has already established his kingdom. Jesus is currently on the throne, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, but he has allowed or given the keys of earth to Satan for a time to seek those who he may devour. But Jesus will, and in his perfect timing, return and establish a literal, real kingdom here on earth. It's called the Millennial Kingdom, and all believers will get to be a part of that, and it will be awesome. All right? Uh, so big picture from Samuel 1 and 2 is about pointing to God's kingdom. Although they're ending the period of the judges and shifting to a man-made kingdom, God's kingdom is the ultimate kingdom that we're to look forward to. It's the real one that we should be focused on. I'm going to share this verse here from 2 Samuel. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And I didn't put 12 in here, but I'm going to read 12. When your days are over and you will rest with your ancestors, I will rest up with your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We're talking about the Davidic covenant and the long line that Jesus will end up establishing his kingdom. And then in verse 16, right after that, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So Jesus has established his kingdom now, he will establish also a kingdom here on earth that we refer to as the millennial kingdom. So I refer to it as a kingdom that is and then also a kingdom that will come. But let's get into the text and let's see how the Lord works through Eli and Samuel. And I want to pray one more time. Lord, I just thank you again for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the grace that he brings us. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would just help us to bring out what you've got for us in these words. And uh, changes for the better to be conformed more to the likeness of the image of your son. In his name, amen. All right. So we're going to dive in. All right. We're going to read together verses 1 through 5. So if you, can, or if you can follow along with me, 1 through 5. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had, be, had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
And so these first five verses, uh, I want to focus a little bit on Eli. All right. We're, we learn here in the first couple of verses that there was a dry spell all right, in Israel and also in Eli's personal situation. We learn that his season is coming to an end. It says his eyes had begun to, to grow so dim that he could not see. We know that, I'll put it like this, Eli had the watch and Samuel didn't. Samuel was young, he was being trained. Eli, he was the, the guy who had been there for the long haul. And Samuel was the guy that was asleep. Eli was the guy that was awake. And so Eli had the watch. And then the last thing is that in verse 4, we can see that Samuel was resting while the Lord was at work in his life. And application point here for us is that maybe we should be at rest and waiting on the Lord. We can wait on our calling from the Lord while resting, and that would be something good for all of us. And then lastly, again, just focus, continuing to focus on Eli here. Samuel got Eli mixed up with God. If you look in verse 5, he ran to Eli. So it was the Lord that was calling him, but Samuel runs to Eli. He runs to the priest. We don't use that term around here, but you could say pastor. Uh, he's running to his spiritual uh, chain of command, so to speak. All right. Eli got him. Uh, Samuel got him mixed up with Eli. So there's a dry spell. This happened for Eli, and uh, this happens to all of us in some way, shape, or form. And it was the end of a season for Eli. You know, we're, we're only human. Um, we are being sanctified. We're being cleansed, but not all at once, okay? And we're not completed, as Philippians 1.6 puts it, while we're in this flesh. I'm going to read that. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as long as we're in the flesh, the Lord's still working on us. He's not done with us. But don't get sanctification mixed up with salvation, okay? Your salvation is, um, once, it's, once you have it, it's there to stay. But with sanctification, it's a process, okay? It's our walk. And so a dry spell or a season... It doesn't necessarily equate to a lack of salvation. It may, but more than likely, it's a struggle in your sanctification. It's a struggle in your walk. So with that said, let's continue along. We're going to read verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to focus uh, on Samuel for those verses. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And so here, uh, we're going to focus a little on Samuel. And 
we can see that he did not understand the call as he was being raised up. All right. Um, I want to sift back through these scriptures just a little bit and point a couple of things out. First off, in verse 6, Samuel goes back to Eli. Right? He keeps going to Eli. Now, Eli is confused. Imagine the confusion and the frustration for Samuel. He's, he's going to his pastor. He's going to his priest. And, uh, and he's confused. You know, he's like, no, I'm not calling you. Go back and go to sleep. And, um, but we know that Eli pointed them towards what was happening there. All right. And, um, and then he ends up getting it right here in a second. But in verse 10, it took the Lord several times to call Eli. I'm sorry, to call Samuel. And... I just want to say this. How many times has the Lord called you and you may have missed it, right? Samuel here, here he's called multiple times and the first couple times he missed it. Just think about that, all right? Samuel did not understand the cause. He was being raised up. He was being raised up, and we know that because we're going to see in the chapters ahead what happens. But what was not happening? He was not raising himself up. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Don't shortchange this process, because it will backfire. If you exalt yourself, the Lord knocks you down. He's got a way of doing that. If you humble yourself, then the Lord will exalt you in due time. And uh, that's been an important verse of mine throughout my since, since I've been a child. And, um, and I think in a way it's kind of like a spiritual law. The Lord, the Lord doesn't mess around with that. Now, he does things in his own way, in his own timing. But what we want to make sure as believers is, is that we don't seek our own self-glory. We don't try to put ourselves in a position to where we gain any sort of status or fame or glory or prosperity that, that really doesn't belong anything to us. We want to uh, just, you know, I don't know if this is the right way of putting it, but quite professional. You know, somebody that does the work for the Lord and uh, in the right way at the right time, the Lord um, will bring us along and, and allow us to, to be a little bit part of his, his work and his plan. So Samuel didn't know exactly what was going on, but the Lord did. And Samuel was guided. And I'll say, even with semi-poor leadership of Eli, I mean, we, we got to see the last couple of chapters that Eli wasn't necessarily the best uh, at what he was doing, but he did have some stuff right. He had some stuff wrong. And um, even through that broken process, Samuel was still able to be guided to the Lord's calling. All right, verses 11 through 15, continuing along. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. 
verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened up the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. So it starts off with some excitement in verse 11. He says, the Lord is talking to Samuel. He says that he's going to tell him something that both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. You hear something like that, you've got my attention, especially if it's coming from the Lord. So he's got his attention, and then next, in verse 12, now what you wanted to hear, I'm sorry, you, you heard from the Lord, but what he's telling you, it's not necessarily what you wanted to hear, right? It was, it was bad news. And so we can reference back to the last chapter. Eli, in, in chapter 2, um, at, towards the end of it, he's told what's going to happen to him and his family based off of the behavior, based off of the disobedience, um, based off of his sons and the things that they were doing and him not correcting them. So Eli already knew it. Uh, anyone who walks with the Lord, I'll say, uh, they know well about how God works. They know well about the judgment of God. And so it was just a matter of time. But Samuel, he's the one who's got to carry this message. And then I would say, as we look at 15, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. I mean, think about this. He's, he's a younger guy. He's coming up. You know, he respects his elders. He respects his priest. And... Uh, and the Lord tells him this horrible news that he says, you've got to go and you have to tell Eli. I mean, have you ever had to tell your boss really bad news? Um, in this case, it's similar, but it's, it's spiritual even, and it's a big deal. And so, here in this section, we're focusing on the message from the Lord, okay? We go from very exciting Everybody's ears will tingle to devastating when Samuel understands the content of the message. And I'll say this. Uh, don't associate good news from God and bad news from Satan, okay? God is in control of all of it. And if bad news is the message, and, and God's in control of that, all right? If it's good news, God's in control of that. And, and this is... This is a little um, personal point I'll throw out there, and, and, uh, and I'll say, kind of like it's been said before, take it or leave it, okay? Um, this is not biblical, but personally, don't be an optimist, somebody who's falsely positive, okay? It's good to be positive, but not falsely positive, like above and beyond you know, the truth, right? And I would even say, don't be a pessimist, somebody who I would say would be falsely negative, always looking for um, the negative part of everything. I like to say, just be a realist. Be somebody that understands the truth, call things out for what they are, and to be a good realist, truth is paramount. So just focus on the truth and call things what they are. And so the news itself, whether it's good news, bad news, it's just that this is the message from the Lord, and Samuel has to carry this message from the Lord. All right, we're going to continue along. We're going to kind of put this all together in verses 16 through 21. If you want to read along with me in 16, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and the more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. 
Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him and said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So I went ahead one more verse into chapter 4, verse 1. And so let's review this. We're going to put all these pieces together here. Excuse me. The priest, he wants to hear from God, but now it's through Samuel, his trainee. Um, I find it interesting because in the beginning of this chapter, you know, it's, it's Eli who is the priest and Samuel is the trainee. But by the end of this chapter, it kind of switched around and it was like a hinge point. And his ears are perked up, right? He wants to know. I mean, and, and, and again, going all the way back to the beginning, they're in a dry spell. Eli himself, his eyes were growing dim. Eli was very curious. He said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. Excuse me. <clears throat> just because Eli's just because Eli's eyes grew dim, he was not stupid. He subjected himself before the Lord. Eli knew that there was no denying this message. So, you know, it was bad news, but he took it and um I guess maybe you can say he took it like a man. I mean, he, he, he needed to know. He was told. And um, they moved on with life. Um, verse 19, it says something here that, um, that the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. And um, the commentary I'm using says that this meant that his prophecies all came true. Okay. Um, continuing along down to verses 21, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So there's just more confirmation. So this just continues. There's more confirmation. And then um, I would say to just kind of wrap this section up here, Samuel became the Lord's mouthpiece for a time, and he had a very powerful ministry coming up, and we'll see that as we go through the, the chapters ahead. So I did a very fast overview over the book, and I just kind of wanted to go over that quickly, but I've got Two points I want to talk about. I've got what I would call a mini point, so we're going to talk about that first. And then uh, a main point, and then we'll close it up from there. So as far as uh, the mini point, uh, I would say that there's times and seasons to things, right? Eli, he had a season, and Samuel, he had a season too. But the Lord is the one who does the calling, and it's our job just to be faithful to that calling. All right? In Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Your trials, they're temporary. Uh, your worldly successes, they're temporary too. All right, just want to remind us of that. But another verse right after that in Ecclesiastes says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything can be taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And I just want to show that contrast that us in the flesh, our, everything that we do is temporary, but what God does is permanent. And his work that he does, that's permanent too. All right. Not only that, but here's some good news. Revelation. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And so these temporary trials and tribulations that we go through, you know, it's replaced by this permanency that God gives us. And your trials and your pain, those things are going to pass. This is your only time in life to work out your trials and your pain. And I'll say this, this is your only time in life that you have an opportunity to turn a trial into glory to God. We have the ability to do that. It doesn't make any sense. I know, I can't make any sense of it. But it's true, because the Bible says so. It even says this, Peter said this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. No, I don't know how to do that. All right, so I don't know how to make it say verse 7, but I'm going to read it. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold perishes. I just read that, didn't I? (laughs) So we go through trials, all right, and it's like, don't laugh at me, Reggie. You know, we go through trials, and, and God's purifying us. Uh, I've heard it said recently that it's like gold, and the way that a, a refiner uh, refines gold is they put it, and they heat it up in this bowl, and then they take the dross off of the top of it, the uh, imperfections. And then the way that they know that the gold is done is that after they get done scooping all this stuff off the top, eventually they can see their own reflection in it. And so um, our trials, it's like, you know, we're heated up, we go through the fire, and the Lord is working on us. He's pulling that. those imperfections out of us. Uh, This is your only time in life that you have an opportunity to turn a trial into glory to God. So I'll say it like this. Don't waste your trials by allowing them to cause distance between you and God. Rather, let that pressure drive you closer to God. Another uh, cliche I guess I'll use is the pressure makes diamonds, right? And so trials will tend to have two reactions for people. Um, You can either get driven further away from God or you can allow it to drive you closer to God. So I would say, let it drive you closer to God. That's the better option. All right, now on to the main point. The times and the seasons, uh, they will give way to his kingdom. You know, going all the way back to earlier, we're talking about the kingdom of, uh, in the book of Samuel, we're shifting from the period of the judges, where it was a theocracy, to a monarchy, which is the period where there's man, kings, and now... We're going to talk a little bit about his kingdom. So what is the message for us? I would say it's a New Testament message, and it's about Jesus Christ. To the Eli's out there, I say, and hey, guess what? You know, we like to villainize the person in the story, whoever's the bad person, and say, I'm going to poke that person in the eye. But in truth, if, when we look ourselves in the mirror, there's a little bit of that in us. And so... Yes, there's plenty of eye-poking that we can do, but we also need to look in the mirror at the same time. So don't just point at your neighbor when I say these things, okay? It's us too. All right. Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we need to repent. We need to repent when we're in sin, because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what, the kingdom of God is what we want to be a part of. That kingdom. And as always, the message continues to just point to Jesus Christ. 
He's the one where we find our answers. He's the one where we find our purpose in life, our peace and our joy and, and more. And we will all soon find ourselves face to face with the judge, whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever. And who is the judge? For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. It's real and literal. One day we're going to face the judge. We're going to face Jesus Christ. And, you know, for the believer, we've, we get to go through the beam of judgment. And it's not, um, not going to be like it is for the unbeliever at the great white throne judgment. But I'll say this. And, and to me, this is the main point. This is the main point of the whole thing, okay, is this. His grace is enough. That's it. His grace is enough. His grace is enough for, for whatever the thing is that you've got going on in your life, for whatever it is that whoever is in a trial or a tribulation, that's what will get you through, even if you don't believe it. John 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus wants us to have. And I'll say, Dare you waste the gift that God has provided to you. It's a free gift. Even when you don't feel it. Does the Lord owe you a special feeling? Do we not sometimes chase after an emotional rush that comes from the temporary events where maybe we were inspired by the Holy Spirit at a time? I know I've made this mistake before. And I would just say this much. Subject your feelings to the authority of God's scripture and test all things out especially feelings, to make sure that they are true before you pursue them. Here's another one. Even when you believe that you ran out of chances and grace, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we must do is come to him and confess our sins before him. That's it. It's, it's not hard, but it's hard because in our pride, sometimes we want to work our way out of something, and we think that we can. Maybe sometimes you can, and maybe sometimes you can't. And when you can't, and even when you can, you need to come before the Lord, and he'll give you forgiveness, and he'll restore that distance between you and him. In Romans 5.20, it says, that's right. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so I would just say this. You can't out God's grace. Okay, there's more grace than there is sin. And he knew about it all when he went to the cross. So trust me, he knows. And there's no sin that you can sin that's out of the range or the reach of God's grace. But I'll say this because we also can have the tendency to run the opposite direction and say, okay, great, so I can basically do whatever I want. Well, Paul, he knew that. <laughs> That's why he wrote this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so it's not a free pass, and there are consequences. Well, were some of your sins not on that cross? No. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there's no sin that he did not die for on that cross. And there's no sin that if you find yourself, you know, in that behavior, in that, that stuck in something, there's nothing that 
that grace can't get you unstuck from. Even Peter was forgiven after trying to be the macho man when Jesus told Peter three times, I agape you, Peter. I unconditionally love you. And, you know, what do you do with that? Peter, he couldn't not, he couldn't stop Jesus from loving him. You know, Jesus, after he denied him three times at his crucifixion, I'm sure in Peter's mind, that's it. That's it for him. And that's a picture of what Jesus does for us. So if you're living in unforgiveness and the turmoil that comes with that, it's only you not accepting the free gift of grace that, that's stopping yourself. You have no one else to blame and you're not going to earn it. There's no way we can pass up this scripture because this is right in there. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone should boast. So you're not going to earn it, so stop trying. <laughs> stop trying to do something and instead take a humble pill. Back to the, you know, humble yourself, right? It's better to humble yourself, by the way, than to have the Lord do it for you. So take a humble pill and let the Lord, through his undeserved, or through our undeserved and our unearned grace, break us free. So no one is too far gone. And wrapping this up, um, no, one, no one is too far gone, but sin separates us from the Father. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. That's not good. We don't want that. Nobody wants to be separated from the Father. But when we're in sin and we're stuck in, that, in that, the grip of the enemy, that's what happens. We, we get distance between us and the Lord. And he'll allow us to wallow in our own sin. It would be in your best interest, all you dirty, rotten sinners that are out there, for which I am one, to close that distance to restore your relationship with the Father. I stole this from uh, gotquestions.org. Sin must be faced honestly. It must be called sin, and it cannot be treated as if it were harmless or inoffensive. Unrepentant believers need to be lovingly confronted and guided to freedom, and unbelievers need to be told of their need to repent. Yet let us also emphasize the remedy, for we have been given grace upon grace. Last verse. For for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so I think of uh, the ocean, you know, down by the, the shore. When do the waves stop? Never. They just keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming. And regardless of your, your sin, the grace is always there. All you have to do is accept it. So with that, uh, I pray that God will use this 3,000-year-old text that we just read to speak to us tonight, that it will visit us in our place of need. I pray that we don't villainize Eli and label him as Satan, because that would be false, but that we see the error of his ways. And also, I I pray that we wouldn't put Samuel on some kind of uh, pedestal. Uh, Even though that he really had a very successful and powerful ministry. And that we're going to see that God, even through Eli, even still used him for a season in a way, powerfully. I encourage you to become more like Samuel. I would encourage you to rest easy, to see the Lord's call, and then to respond with, here I am. 
I pray that you see how trials in life can cause you to stumble, but that we should instead use them as a good pressure that pushes us straight into the arms of God. So with that said, uh, let's just pray out. Father God, Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for the good work that you've done in this world. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the free grace, Lord, that, that he gave us through, through crucifying himself, Lord. Uh, he knows, he understands what we've been through. He gets it. And it's a free gift for any of us who want to be made whole and to be filled with joy and to just have a renewed purpose in our life, Lord. And so we just thank you for your words, and I just pray that they would just sink in anywhere that they need to be sunk into, Lord. We thank you so much. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we're going to turn this over to uh, corporate prayer for till the top of the hour for the last nine minutes. I would just encourage you, um, I would encourage you to pray about our church and our church leadership, the Lord's leading and the calling in our lives, just like it was with Samuel, and then also our community and the Lord's ability to impact our community with the gospel and with discipleship.